Hello, welcome back to the For Real Zo podcast with Amanda and Jessica. Hey, Jessica. Hey, Amanda. <laughs> so I'm excited because my brother Chad is here from Australia. He's been living in Australia since right before the pandemic for like the last four years, three years. How long? Yeah, four years almost. <laughs> yeah, so we haven't seen him in the U.S. for quite a while. And so it's just nice to have him here, see him and his daughter in since he's in town, I wanted to do a recording with him because he has a lot of insight and um, yeah, so I'm just going to let Chad share like who he is, what he's done and the book he wrote, just a little bit about you and what you do. Well, thanks for inviting me on. Um, I like that there wasn't really a script. This is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, th that's why we call it the For Reals Though podcast because we just... <laughs> We were like, we want to keep it real and authentic. Oh, well, that's perfect. Yeah. And I'm going to, I'm just going to pop in here and say that, Chad, I'm a little disappointed that you're not carrying an Australian accent with you right now because I was really hoping for that. I don't know what I went on, but it sounds terrible. And I'd probably be re entering the country if I did. <laughs> yeah, okay. it's not even slightly there. No, well, okay, that's good. I need somebody else to reflect that. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I can uh, I can understand Australian, so that that that's been a big help in adapting to the culture. Uh, well, so tell us about your book. I'm really 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 curious. I mean, I've known known Chad not as well as Amanda, but I've known Chad and of Chad since I've known Amanda, so over 20 years. Um, and I'm super super curious to find out what your book is about. Oh well, back when I would have met you, uh, what was that in the 90s maybe? Yep. Yeah, late 90s. Okay. Well, right around that time, I grew interested in the, oh, things spiritually related, meditation related. Uh, it was start, just then starting to explore quite, quite a lot. Um, so I looked at meditation as like a, a, a means to deepen spiritual connection, but also a means to move out of the experience of depression that I experienced. So it was kind of a dual thing, right? But I guess um, for me to really talk about the book, I would need to talk about how it came to be. Of course. Provide a bit of context. So um, I guess the way I started was like anybody else. You start with an idea of meditation. And if I were to... Okay, we're back. We had a little... Uh, Little glitch. Little, little for real, for real the glitch. Um, <laughs> so you're asking about uh, a book I wrote and where we left off was how that came to be. And, and when I started um, looking at meditation as a practice or something that I thought would help me get where I wanted to be, I started with the way a lot of people do. And that's there's all these ideas about meditation that are embedded um, even if you've never done it before so if I ask both of you what the first things that come to mind when you think of a practice of meditation what's that what are some of the very first things that you would think of involving the practice um, mine is pure frustration <laughs> there you go uh, uh, mine is like stillness and like eyes closed sitting there in a kind of re relaxed peaceful state and, and what's frustrating about it, um, Jessica, if I can ask, what is, the, what's, what is it that creates this idea of frustration regarding the practice? 
Um, it's uh, because I probably because I have preconceived notions of what the experience should be like, and I can't ever seem to get there. <laughs> what are your ideas of what it should be like? Like what you said, stillness, peacefulness, um, quiet, and I can't quiet my mind. And I've been told, um, I've been told by my uh, my spiritual advisor, whom Holly, whom we had on a couple of weeks ago, um, multiple times, and my guides have told me as well multiple times that meditation is my jam. Like I've got to get it going, and I can't. I just can't. There's a block, and so it's frustration for me. <laughs> topic will be good for you today. Well, can I ask what your goal is with meditation? Quiet. Quiet. <laughs> yes, because my brain is always on like, like massive go, 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 go. And I'm always thinking and, um, and I, yeah, so I would like to just be calm and quiet. <laughs> you are calm and quiet when you do your journaling, right? Yes. And so that's what I've kind of like resorted that's, that's to. Your meditation then. Yeah, it's what I've resorted to, but I still like I hear my husband. My husband's been master at the meditation, him and his brother both. And I hear the stories of the experiences they've had. And I'm just like so envious. And I want I want that. But that's not what I get when I journal. But journaling is like my quietest, um, my the place in my life where I'm the quietest and the most um, focused. But it's still not like where I want to go. Okay, well, so the way you start is the way I found um, most people enter into the practice with frustration, with preconceived notions, with expectations not being met, and then ultimately frustration. Yep. <laughs> so, so I had the same thing. Um, but when I when I really looked at it, uh, and I and I dabbled with various techniques, and even taught some. Uh, long story short, there was a lot of ideas that we operate from without examining those ideas. Uh, one of those ideas I had was that I needed to stop the mind. I even had this idea once that I could, I should be able to sit still and not scratch an itch, which means my nose would itch. And you know, like when you're moving furniture, your nose is fine until you're lifting the furniture and then your nose itches. Well, I would sit for meditation and I would get itches and I had this idea that I wasn't even allowed to scratch an itch, right? So. We have these silly ideas that we pick up from God knows where about this rigidity and uh, forcefulness. And I'll be honest, I, I've come to, to really not like the word meditation at all because of all the ideas that filter into the brain and um, that aren't even accurate. Right. Yeah. So I'll just go with an example. I experienced a lot of turbulence just like you and a lot of conflict. Um, depressing thoughts, all that stuff. That stuff's very common for a lot of people. So my idea was that it needed to stop. The idea being that once that stopped, then I could experience peace. Um, so I needed to work on a strategy, which that being meditation. And it, for me, it was frustrating, involved a lot of force. But the thing I didn't examine for the longest time was that you don't need to stop any of that stuff. You don't have to stop a single one of your conflicting thoughts to experience peace. So the goal of meditation, the goal of the meditation I would refer to is, um, is, is peace, but you don't experience peace by forcing. And here's an analogy we can look at. Let's look at the thoughts as ripples on the surface of the ocean. So the surface of the ocean is never still. It's either 
mildly chaotic or very chaotic, but it's never totally placid, right? Yes. So this is like our thoughts. Like at, at, at any moment, the mind is just thinking. It's moving. It's doing something. It's active. Sometimes it's more active than others. So if we look at the mind like we look at the surface of the ocean, the, 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 the surface is always busy, but underneath the surface, it's calm. So we don't need to change thoughts. We don't need to do anything with them. The ultimate goal of meditation isn't to change your thoughts, but the ultimate goal is to change your relationship with your thoughts. So you can have this exact same thought process you're having now and be in peace at the same time. Much like if a diver goes beneath the surface, like if you ever see those snorkel shows or like on National Geographic, the diver goes below the surface and it's calm and peaceful there. And sometimes a camera might pan back to the surface and you can see the ripples up there, but where the diver is, is calm and peaceful. Yeah. So that's much the same way. Your, your thoughts continue right on as before, but your relationship with them is so changed that you don't care what they do. You don't care what the mind does because you're in peace regardless of what the mind is doing. Right, right. So I imagine that probably wasn't part of your preconceived notions regarding meditation, right? Yeah, no, um, the, the crazy thoughts and the, the constant thoughts was not, um, I was not in acceptance with them, right? I was not in unison with them at all. I was rejecting them and forcing them to do something else. So you're right. Yes. So this is this point, this flash point that we're talking about right now is your your non-acceptance of what your mind is doing creates conflict, not the mind. Right. Right. So that's where the conflict is. So the, the ultimate goal of pure spirituality or meditation is to rise beyond conflict. But as long as there's a fight, as long as there's a rejection or a forcefulness, or some sort of judgment about what the mind is doing, that very conflict creates, or that very resistance or rejection of, of the mind or judgment or whatever you want to call it, yeah. that creates the conflict that destroys peace. Right. So it's not the mind, again, that you work with. It's your relationship with it. Yes, absolutely. That's, that, that's exactly what is happening. And that's what you're kind of doing when you're doing the journaling. Yes. You're becoming at peace with your, those thoughts and instead of resisting them, you're, you're trying to understand them anyway. Yeah. I'm so putting them on paper so that I can, I can understand them. Yeah. And that's why you feel peaceful when you do it because it's, it's rewarding. Yeah, it is. And, and it's the same, it's a, it's the same kind of thing because I sometimes I'll sit down to journal and I don't even know what I'm going to journal about. Right. I just know that I need it and something is going to come. And then it's always a delightful discovery. And I suppose I could look at meditation in the same way, which I've been resistant to previously. So what you're resisting more is your ideas about meditation. Yes. So, yes. so up to this point, you've been operating from an idea of what you think it should look like. Absolutely. <laughs> I think um, what works best and how I've started to teach at some point is I, I'll start by talking about meditation because everyone relates to that term, but only so much as I can replace that term with the term awareness, which is what I'd rather call the practice, the practice of awareness. So if you mention the word meditation to any group of people, 
the whole group, no matter how big the group, everyone has an idea about it. And most of those ideas only add to conflict because people are not able to reach these um, ideas, these ideals or these notions they have in place about or their expectations because of their faulty ideas about meditation. But you mention awareness to a group and everybody just sort of falls silent because there's not all these connotations associated with the term awareness. So if I mention awareness to the both of you, what is the first thing that comes to mind when you think of awareness? Jessica, do you want to go first? Uh, light, bright light. Mine is um, just being in a higher level of consciousness and, um, and being fully um, like connected to everything and aware of things at a at a level that um people a lot of people just go through their day-to-day life and like kind of like that autopilot movement and for me awareness is like getting out of autopilot and being it like more aware of every little thing that's around you and the energy and the feelings and the experiences yeah being present for sure is is what i would say as well being present present so awareness uh can we agree that maybe that sounds a bit simpler than the word meditation <laughs> yeah okay. yeah and and the the only difference is the content of our ideas wrapped around that term and so absolutely yeah i think that the awareness the word awareness allows for more self-definition and and self-interpretation than meditation i feel like meditation is more of a already defined and studied subject matter that's very rigid. Yes, and that's not meditation, really. That's trying to put into practice ideas and assumptions. Yep. So the thing with awareness is um, it's simple, right? So if I tell you to be aware of your big toe, that can be done simply. There's no process needed. Your attention just goes there, right? Now, if I, in any group of meditators, or if you ask them to become aware of their thoughts, what they're thinking, you can just notice what's going on in the mind. So to be aware is just to notice. And so, you, for example, we talked about meditation. You're able to notice these ideas you have about it. You can also notice uh, the, the flow of thoughts in any moment during the day. It doesn't matter what moment it is. You can always pay attention or be aware of what your mind is telling you. So the voices in our head, we can be aware of those. And that's that's part of awareness also. So awareness is, um, it's not something that happens in the next moment. It's, it's something that's very present, 100% now. Yes. And you don't need anything to be aware other than just you remember to do it. And also it helps to get another context involved, right? So if I were to tell you that all those thoughts that move through your mind aren't really you, but you can be aware of those thoughts, um, has that been something you've ever considered before? Um, no. <laughs> so now if, you're, if, if you were to sit quietly and just notice the thoughts, now you can notice where you've made those thoughts me. Right. So there's a lot of things we think that are just programs moving. It's just voices in our head talking. They're programs and things we've learned from other people. It could be 
whether it's religious thinking or um, it, it's amazing how subtle it is, right? I, I remember sitting down and there was a football game on and I found myself heavily rooting for Notre Dame. And then I, then I, I noticed why that was is because I was raised Catholic and that was a Catholic school. And when I noticed that, I thought, well, I don't really care if Notre Dame wins or not. So that to me seemed kind of strange because I was raised the way my parents were raised with the same thoughts. And then I, I realized that that was just something I took on board and never really examined. Uh, so it's not awareness isn't an invitation so much to think about stuff, but just to notice what the mind is doing. So with the practice of awareness, what I did with depressing thoughts is I, I became very vigilant with what my thoughts were doing constantly. It's like you go about your day just like any other day. Right. But only the difference. The only difference is, is you're just constantly noticing the thoughts and that noticing starts to create a bit of different. A distance from those thoughts, a little separation, because there's that which is aware, then there's the thought. And then you, you gradually begin to disidentify with those thoughts, not ignore them, not pretend like they're not there, but allow them to be with this understanding or this deep conviction that that's not me. That thoughts are programs, they're not me. There's a bigger me that observes all that. You don't need to do anything with the thoughts, as I said, but it, so what I noticed with the depressing thoughts is the energy gradually oh. evaporated. It used to be those thoughts were like these stormy clouds with all this energy that seemed to disrupt my peace. Imagine if a, if a jet airplane flew right overhead, it seems to shatter everything in the environment, right? There's nothing peaceful about that, but that same airplane flying, 10, 20, 30,000 feet overhead is, is barely noticeable and peace is the bigger experience. And that's what changed with the depressing thoughts. At one point it was like that jet airplane flying right overhead that every time I had anything negative go into my mind, it would disturb my peace. Yeah. And what changed over time is that that same thought could come through and it wouldn't affect me at all whatsoever. And the question, the, 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 the difference was, I was no longer hypnotized by it and identified with it. Yeah. You're no longer attached to it. I gotcha. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. So when I say you don't need to change what your mind is doing, that's, that's a, that's a big part of conflict in people is they, they're experiencing one thing, wanting something else. And there's conflict with the moment there's, and anytime there's a rejection of what's now, we have an idea of what should be different. There's conflict. Yep. So uh, awareness is an allowing, allowing whatever happens to happen. So one of the big problems with meditators is they, they don't like what's happening. So they'll sit down and meditate, close their eyes, whatever they want to do, whatever technique they have. And they don't like what's happening. They want a different experience. You want your, your partner's experience. You don't want your experience, right? You, you've heard other people in groups talk about these wonderful light filled experiences and you sit down and you have a busy, depressing thought filled mind, whatever you want, what they're having for dinner, not what you have on your plate. You know? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so. Mine is, so mine is really like, it's not depressing thoughts. It's, um, you ought to do this thoughts. Like I'm constantly bombarded with me 
needing to, my thoughts are that I should be doing this. I should be doing that. I should be doing this this way. I should be doing this this way. And I'm, they're so heavy. They're so heavy because I just, I, it must be like a, a self-acceptance sort of journey that I'm on right now. But I am never happy with the way that I'm doing things and always have ideas and expectations of needing to do them differently. So as you sit down and you're aware of those thoughts, can you see how many of those thoughts are just like dangling there as lures to pull you out of this moment and into some other moment? Yeah, absolutely. Like like 100% of them. And they're heavy. They're so heavy. Yeah, because they're giving you guilt. Like you need to do something. And what's behind all that? This This idea of doing to get. What's behind those kind of thoughts? What's the first thing that comes to mind when you think of all these thoughts telling you to do, do, do this, this, this? Um, yeah, I'm not enough. I'm not enough. Right, so the moment's not enough. What you're doing right now isn't being productive. You need to do, do, do to be more, right? Yes. Okay, so this... That train of thoughts, now that you're aware of it, so we've been practicing awareness already. Congratulations, Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need a whole slew of special techniques to be aware of, of this process. So what you do is you question it. You wonder if you want to continue to indulge in that because those thoughts become self-fulfilling prophecies. They, we become hypnotized by thinking like that. And worst case, we become identified with it until you think those voices are you. Yes. So the idea is to step back, notice what the mind is doing. Notice that 100% of those thoughts of that program are disrupting peace. They're not adding to it. And you yeah. can notice it, right? You can still, you'll amazingly still get things done, but your mind doesn't need to constantly dangle a to-do list in your nose that creates conflict for you. Well, and I would say that um, sometimes it these to-do lists, these you ought to be doing, blah, 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 become so overwhelming that they impede on my ability to do anything and to be productive at all. And I'll, I'll look up from, you know, sitting at my desk and look back at my, you know, because I'm a contractor, so I bill by, you know, my the time that I've worked. I'll look back on my day and I will feel exhausted. And I will feel like I was so busy, so like just constantly working. And I'll look back and I build two and a half hours for the whole day. And I'm, and I'm like, and I can't come up with more billable time in my day to justify. And I don't know what the hell I did all day long. <laughs> <laughs> but I am exhausted and I feel like I worked my ass off for eight straight hours. Yeah. You know how, like I told you this year, I was just not doing anything I think so like the last two to three years <clears throat> I think it kind of started with COVID I there was like all this free time so then I was like oh I, I can feel I started taking this course online or that online and then I felt like I needed to do all these things and like so the past two or three years it was like let me learn online marketing let me do this let me try to build that let me try to write a book and it was just like constant and I had like my whole days filled up with trainings and things to listen to and try to figure this out and that out and then this year I was like, you know what? I'm done. And so like I, I told you, I was just kind of leaving this year open to like just nothing in the space and seeing what the universe brought my way. 
And I, I've consistently just kind of kept that. And it's a really freeing to have, I have, I don't have this like, like strong push on my time or that I should be doing these things. I've just kind of let it all go and just kind of accept, like trying to just enjoy life and take a step back for, and I don't know, you know, obviously you can't do that completely. You have to have like things you're working on. And I wouldn't say I'm not working on anything, but I feel like my mind's more free this year. And I'm just, I'm trying to be more present with family and myself and not be on devices and not be on social media as much. And just really like, see what I'm supposed to be doing with things. And um, but it, the whole reason why I brought that up is just to say, I get where you're at because I think I was there the last two to three years. It was just like, I had all these things and then I really couldn't share with you exactly what I did. I know I filled it with a lot of stuff, but it, as far as like productive hours at the end, it, I don't know how much that really was productive, but it was filled with a lot. <laughs> yeah, I would, I mean, I totally, I hear you on that and I I'm going to take it up one more notch. I um just a little story. When I first got divorced like 6 years, 7 years, I don't even know how long ago it was. Um many years ago, um I had a lot of um people coming into my life that I didn't know, just strangers that would come in and share their stories with me and I could not figure out what the heck was happening. I wasn't inviting these people. I was in severe depression and I was like, why are you telling me this right now? But the story was very similar and it was male and female, but dominantly male. And it was them, their midlife, mid marriage, you know, 10, 15 years into their marriage. And they were all miserable, all miserable. And most of it stemmed from their sex lives. And um, they couldn't like they weren't having sex with their partner. They weren't enjoying um you know, their partners had changed drastically to these people that they didn't know anymore. And it was just really it was affecting their whole marriage and their whole lives. And everybody was all these people. They weren't connected to each other. They were just individuals, but um, they were all just very miserable. And this was happening right after my husband and I got divorced. Um, and and so it was very weird and only happened for a short period of time. But I thought. I'm going to remember, I'm going to look back and I'm going to remember this experience, but I don't know what it's for right now um, because I couldn't find, I couldn't draw any correlations or, you know, any relevance actually. Um, and so fast forward to like a year ago, I started rec recognizing in my own self and I'm about to get real, real, real here, y'all. <laughs> but I started recognizing that my own libido and was decreasing drastically and I couldn't I've never experienced that before I've always been very highly sexual highly sexually active um and and I've actually almost like identified myself by that high libido because it's kind of unusual for females or it was and um and my libido just tanked but my health did tank too um my my health I just come off of like a year long really unhealthy um, physical body and um, I was pulling myself out of that physically but my libido was still like in the toilet and I couldn't I couldn't understand it and I felt terrible because I know it was affecting my marriage and it was affecting my husband who does have a high um, sex drive and um, and so I could but I was like something private that I was keeping in within myself and I was just watching and I was observing and I couldn't figure out like what was going on. But at the same time that that was happening was when all of these thoughts and these um, obligations and these you ought to be doing this and you ought to be feeling that 
kind of started getting heavier and heavier and to the point where I'm literally at my precipice right now. I'm, it is so heavy that it's impeding. Like I said, it's impeding in my day and I don't know what to do about it or what, you know, why it's even so heavy like this where the, all these thoughts are just, they're impeding on every aspect of my life at this point. And the reason that I'm telling you this is because I believe um, the stories that I was told back when I first got divorced by all these midlife people, I feel like I'm experiencing or I have the potential to be experiencing what they've experienced, but knowing the answer to why they're having that experience in their lives. And I think that it's because we get to midlife and all of a sudden everything just piles up on us. And it it might be, it could be that it may be like the most stressful point in our lives where we've got our kids are at their midlives, right? So they're like early teenagers, mid teenagers. We've got all these financial obligations. We've dug ourselves deep. We're both working. Like this is just like an average story, right? Average American middle-aged story. And the pressure is just abundant. And I'm wondering if what I'm experiencing isn't, isn't what I was told about six years ago. And, um, yeah, it's easier to blame it on your partner yes. versus yeah. internalize and realize that, yeah, maybe you're right. It's life. It is because you see the end isn't closer and you had all these things you wanted to do with your life. And now all this pressure, you're like, oh my gosh, I wanted to accomplish all these things. And now time is running out. Kids like, you know, yeah, it is, it's a, it is an interesting place to be in. Um, Sorry, I interrupted, but I, I thought I'd throw that in there. Yeah, well, you're yeah, the that, theme of the show for real, though. <laughs> <laughs> for real. Yeah. No, but I'm thinking that our listeners are experiencing the same kind of thing. I'm thinking that this is a beneficial conversation because I'm feeling like, and I'm literally just talking through this as I'm thinking about it. So, um, but I, to clarify, what you're experiencing right now is that's what you're currently going through. You feel like you're at your heaviest, hardest challenging spot right now is that yeah right now okay I didn't know if you were talking about in the last year or just but but right now you feel like you're really struggling yes I am struggling the most than I have um since you know one of my really depressing you know struggles back in when I first got divorced that would be the most recent uh hardest struggle that I was having I'm struggling at a level but I can't put words into it I can't explain it and there's no real reason I am in an amazing marriage right now we have a beautiful family that's just full and happy I'm you know I have an abundance of things that you know just like material things that you know I love and I'm surrounded by and so there's no real reason for me to be feeling this except what the crap that's going on in my mind so that we're right now this is what you bring up is perfect right the topic of the show and what you've just talked about is perfect this is this is where real spirituality happens not this uh, made-up stuff that's an escape from everything so most people would assume that spirituality or even meditation is an escape from all this stuff. But no, you dive right in. Uh, you get real about what's going on. You notice it. And that's when the change happens because you've just talked about a lot of things that um, can really show you something about yourself. Th these things can show you where there may have been an attachment to how things were and maybe a resistance to how, um, because things are different now, uh, there's conflict. Um, how else can I put that? 
Oh, that's ex- so perfect. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you were, you were a certain way before and yes. that's changed. And so I, I see a few things kind of wrapped up in all this. I, and the major one being that our happiness, the more our happiness is dependent on conditions, the less happy we'll actually be because sometimes life will happen to meet those expectations and we're happy and then life changes and our expectations aren't being met. And each expectation is a condition that comes from our thought process. Yeah. So those things aren't bad in and of themselves, but we don't, we lose awareness of that fact. We think our happiness depends on all our expectations being met. That's why I'm not a huge fan of the movie, like the secret and all that stuff, because Well, that's true. You can hold in mind and create certain things. What's missing out of all that is that there's a greater context that you can be aware of in which your happiness doesn't need to depend on all these conditions being met. Right? Yes. Yes. And I agree with you on the secret thing. It's never, I want to like it, but it's never really resonated fully with me. And I've never been able to figure out why. The reason why is because it's almost like you're an adult writing a list to Santa Claus about all the things that you think you need to be happy. There's nothing wrong with that, right? There's nothing wrong with it. So it's not a value judgment, but let's, let's see it for what it is. Uh, as long as we think our happiness is dependent on our bulletin board manifesting into our life, um, we won't be happy until we see all these expectations come into fruition. But what if there's another way to look at all that? What if you still have that bulletin board, but you're not attached to all these outcomes as much? What if there's a deeper context beneath all the thought processes that's already at peace? So when I talk about, when we talk about peace of mind through meditation, we're not talking about a condition that you can put on a, on a bulletin board. I mean, you could put it on there if you want, but um, the, the peace that you can experience through meditation isn't dependent upon any condition at all. Any more than the sky, the stillness of the sky isn't dependent on how many clouds are absent from the sky. It's already there right alongside the clouds. So let's look at it this way. Let's suppose all your thoughts. And by the way, I'll just say this about that, too. Without knowing it, we often live by the script that other people have written for us. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. You identify with that script and that script seems like you. It seems like me. It seems like we identify with that script. Um, but if you really look at it and start to question it, challenge it, um, you'll see that this, this movement of thought is a program that is a script written by society, by religion, by what other people have told us. Like you said, other people in their midlife crisis shared what was going on for them, maybe gave advice of what you should do. Maybe you took that on board without questioning some of it. Um, if, if you let these thoughts go unchecked, they become like hypnotic. You identify with them and then you experience conflict. So you try to meet and match reality with these ideas that you have. These expectations end up only being conditions. So we're happy if we have a condition met, we're upset if we don't. So the more the conditions we have, the greater the unhappiness, the greater the likelihood for unhappiness. And so it's not like you go through and start just blowing up expectations, but you look into them and question them. Be aware of where they came from, and and you can do that really quickly. So it's awareness, again, all over again. Um, So what I wanted to say about that, though, is 
a lot of people ask on the fly what a, quick, a good quick meditation practice is. And one that really helped me was you sit and you notice your thoughts as if they're clouds in the sky. So let's just look at the sky and the clouds right now. And this isn't a visualization thing, although your mind might visualize. Uh, it's just an analogy. So the sky, the nature of the sky is, is silent stillness without any boundaries. The nature of a cloud is it's, it has a beginning, it has a definite form and shape, and it changes and it'll eventually dissolve away again. So if we sit and are aware of the thoughts, just pretend like your thoughts are clouds. But what's the space in which they arise? That's already silent and still. Most people don't recognize the silent stillness because they're fixated on the thoughts. So silence and peace isn't something that we acquire. It's not a result. That's amazing to think about, isn't it? That oh my gosh, you just blew my mind right now. <laughs> peace, peace isn't a result. It's already there. We're fixated on the thoughts, so we're not recognizing it. So what happens is you start to see your mind only as clouds emerging in the sky. And just pretend like you're the sky. Just, just, just sit and pretend like you're the sky and your thoughts are clouds. And what does the sky have to say about a cloud that appears in it? Nothing. <laughs> it doesn't say anything. It doesn't reject it. It doesn't accept it. It doesn't, re it doesn't accept some clouds and reject others. The skies appear and then they disappear and the sky is silent and still and unaffected throughout. Mm. So as you sit in meditation, realize that awareness isn't different than silence. That which is aware is fixed. The, the thoughts are moving. So awareness is part and parcel of, of, of like the sky. It's all right. Yep. It's already a piece, right? That which is aware is fixed and unmoving and silent and still, and the mind is moving. So you can be aware of, of the silence and the depth of the sky without changing the clouds. Right? They, they, yeah. You yeah. can take a peaceful walk in the woods and you hear a bird singing, or maybe there's a duck that starts quacking. I was walking through this nature park with my parents when they visited in Australia and this duck comes out of nowhere and starts squawking at me, biting my foot. Right. So the further you get away, that duck continued to squawk, but, um, but it didn't affect the peace of the walk. Right. So if you're walking in the woods and you get a squawking duck that comes by, you can also be aware of the silence of the, of the peaceful nature around you. So the, the, the two things coexist, the, the noisy squawking duck and the silence of nature the noisy squawking thoughts and the silence in which they arise and subside. So that actually becomes the experience at some point. You, you live immersed in this peace and the thoughts may continue, but they don't affect you anymore. Yep. And I'm living in the constant squawking right now. <laughs> now you're aware. You're aware. Yeah. Awareness. So that's the point. Yeah. You're, you're aware of the nature of the squawk, right? Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll share an interesting analogy, one that I've always loved. It's, um, and this is from a lot of ancient um, spiritual meditation teachings from the East. It's the rope and the snake analogy. So have you ever, and you may have noticed this, have you ever been out in like the, 
if you grew up on a farm or even if you've been out in the yard and just for a moment saw a rope and thought it was a snake or even the water hose, right? If you're walking through your yard and you see it wrapped through the grass, has there ever been a time where just for a moment you thought it was a snake? Oh, yeah. And just jumped back a little bit, a little startled. Yeah. So what happens when you thought it was a snake? You're yeah. startled. There's, there's uh, stress. Your heart rate goes up. You're at panic. And what happens when you notice that very same thing is only a rope? Relief. <laughs> Relief. So what changed? Not not the thing in the yard. <laughs> your perception, <laughs> your relationship with that thing in the yard. Yeah. It's no different with the thoughts. So that your thought was that you, you mistook it for this uh, paper dragon that creates all this fear. Or a real dragon and it turns out to be made of paper, right? So... So that's why when I said it's your relationship with it that changes, not the thing itself. Yes, yes. It's no different than the rope and the snake. And uh, as a funny side story, I was teaching a retreat in Mexico once. And one day I was walking. We had this uh, this building called the ashram, and it was a long walk through the countryside to get up to it. And uh, on the way up there one day, I went to open this fence. And I'd been sharing this analogy to see how the group was doing with it, with their thoughts. So I went to open this gate to get up there and I, I panicked because I thought I was about to grab hold of a snake and it was just a rope coiled along the fence. Right. So okay. I, I thought, well, that's kind of funny because we were just talking about that analogy. Well, the next night or two, I went to open that same gate and there was a snake wrapped around where the <gasps> freaking rope was. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. crazy. So God does have a sense of humor. Absolutely. <laughs> So bring us bring us back to your to where you were leading us to to the writing of your book. Okay, so I wanted to write a book that um, that I would have liked to have read when I learned to meditate. I don't know how successful I was. I'll let you guys tell me that if you ever get to reading it. But um, so I noticed that a lot of books I was reading um, would tell you that oh you shouldn't just learn from a book. Or they would say they would offer this inspiring account on other people's experiences, but not give you a means to dive into your own. Or they'd want to sell it for a price. Yeah. Yeah, I get you. I hear that. Yeah. Okay. I got tired of all that. Um, I wanted to. My intention for writing the book was to um, share some share experiences I'd had. I'm not so interested in theories about stuff. If somebody can practice it for themselves, that's what that's what matters. Uh, so I, when I share, it's from years of experience, um, not so much just my conviction about it. And so that's what I hope to accomplish with the book is something that would offer um, an account of experiences I've had and also a technique you can use to have your own experiences. So what's the name of the book, Chad? The book is called The Way of the Mystic. Insights on devotion and liberation. And you can get it on Amazon, right? Yeah, it's on Amazon.com. And there's a lot of books with that name kind of wrapped around it, so you'll have to look my name up. I'll I'll put see. a link in the okay. in the bio or the description of this episode too for right. anybody that wants to check it out. So so the book doesn't. Um, I'll just add a little bit more to um, ideas of meditation, just so that people aren't terrified. Um, there's no 
ritual. There's nothing to join. There's nothing to pay for. Uh, there's, there's no need for dietary changes. There's no rigid positions. There's no need to try to use force on your mind. One of the golden rules is attention without tension. So when you're practicing, um, awareness on the mind, which that's the other thing with the meditation that, that I, I taught was you can do it all the time. It doesn't matter. Eyes open, eyes closed, any moment, any moment. It's not just an eyes closed, hiding away kind of thing. Although that helps too sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you need that peace and quiet to reset. Uh, but this is also a bring with you kind of thing in every single moment and experience, just like you shared, Jessica, where you're in all this maybe crisis type, type moment where you're questioning a lot of things. That's a perfect time to practice something like this. And I hear this all the time. People say, oh, I, I'd love to learn to meditate, but my mind's just too busy. I can't do it right now. Well, that's when you should be doing it. It's not when you wait till your mind is okay to do it. What, what's the point of that? Um, but your mind will find a million and one reasons to postpone the practice of awareness. It will find all the excuses in the world why you can't do it. And everyone's yep. like, definitely, yeah, I'm definitely there. I, I'm constantly distracting myself for sure. And every single one of those ideas, I don't care who anyone is, is totally fabricated out of the ethers. It doesn't have any basis in reality at all. So if you have five kids and you're busy uh, and you have no free time, you can still practice awareness and it's still just as valid. It's not like a cheap knockoff version just because you can't run away to some monastery. It's legitimate. It's what life has given you to work with, and it means everything. So you can't compare your path with somebody else's just because you're busy, immersed in a busy life with a family and kids and a full-time job or two jobs or whatever. Some people say, I've got no time. I can't sit and close my eyes to meditate. Well, you don't have to. Uh, it starts with awareness and it ends with awareness. And it continues forever with awareness. So what happens is it gets easier. At first, it seems like it's a bit of a challenge because there's still remnants of the, of the programming that wants to fight with reality. So reality doesn't always match our expectations and that's where frustration comes in. Uh, yeah. So I'll just say that to all listeners out there that it doesn't matter what your situation is like right now, you start and work with what's here right now. And uh, and you just notice what the mind is doing. That's all you have to do. Just just keep an keep an eye on it constantly. When you yeah. start to question it, is that really me, or is that a script someone else has given me? Is that really me, or is that just a program? Do I really need to identify with all this garbage that's flowing through the mind all the time? So you start to challenge it, question it, uh, notice it mostly though. So the book is really, uh, it also it, it contains a technique you can use because some people, as, if you're like me, I started meditating and I couldn't sit quietly for even two seconds before I was caught up and swept up in the mind again. And 20 minutes ago by and I think, where the hell was I just then? Yep, <laughs> that's me. <laughs> so I put a technique in the book that's very simple. Anybody can use it. Um, if it seems to have a religious connotation, trust me, I'm not trying to convert anyone. I just picked a phrase that was extremely powerful and will work for anybody. All the instructions how to use it are in the book. 
and I've also included a lot of experiences people can have with meditation and uh, a lot of question and answer. Uh, it's, an, it's an amazing thing to, to get involved with, the most rewarding thing you could do. And any conflict that creates, any program that creates conflict is created in the mind and any of those things can be overcome permanently. So I used to experience depression pretty much all the time and now I haven't, I don't experience it at all. It's like it doesn't even exist. I remember what it was like, but I guess I could probably do a whole shows on depression because you, you start to see everywhere where there's a lot of treatments or therapies for depression and almost like you never see anybody say this this can cure it this can more like you you find a lot of things that are meant to take the edge off of it or to relieve a little bit of the pressure of it uh, i don't really see much out there that says here's how to be free of depression permanently and yet that's what i'm offering is that depression can be overcome permanently in any sense of conflict internally can because the silence beneath all these programs is so much bigger that conflict cannot exist there. Yeah, we just don't give it the attention it deserves. Right. Yeah, well, and people are have to be willing to want to do it and work on it. And most people say that they are, but they truly aren't. Yeah, well, that's a very <laughs> valid point. For all the people that say they want to do something about it, I've had droves of People come through classes and you ask how they're doing later with it and they just don't do it. Right. That's the, I guess it's much more attractive for people to suffer than it is to be at peace. Actually, that's it's easier. It's easier. Well, yeah. yeah, they think it's easier, but ultimately it's not. It's more miserable, but. But people become, they, they fall in love with their own suffering. And you have to be aware of that program too, because. Even with depression, I noticed there was a, some sort of twisted attachment to it, as if you're trying to leverage that to prove a point to somebody or to life. Oh, yeah. You're, you're, I've seen that a lot. Yeah, you're, you're using your suffering to justify some sort of weird position. And some people well, it, it, let go yeah, of it. that sort of twisted satisfaction they get out of their own suffering and their own drama. Yeah, it's kind of like a, um, a trauma attachment, right, or a toxic cycle that they're stuck in. And they use that suffering as affirmation, you know, that, yep, see, the world sucks or this relationship sucks. And, and it just keeps them going. It feeds it um, so that they can stay in that cycle because jumping out of that cycle is too much work. It's at the beginning, at the forefront, it's really hard to jump out of that cycle or to get out of that trauma, or to heal that trauma. And so they just stay in that uh, trauma cycle over and over and keep finding things in their world to aff affirm it. Yeah. They yeah. Want to prove to other people how miserable they really have it. And what, what trade off is there there? You trade off all the peace in the world for some, conflicting position that will keep you in suffering so anyway that's uh i hope i've explained the the nuts and bolts of it yeah at that least was, to a basic awesome. degree but these are all yeah, you've done an amazing job chad at explaining everything that our listeners need to hear i mean especially our listeners our listeners are are you know, the the middle, well, I think they are the middle aged woman um, that we're trying to um, appeal to digging deep and discovering your own self empowerment. Right. And this is exactly what this group 
of women need to hear in the world right now. Absolutely, because depression runs rampant through that age group. You, you reach a point in your life where things aren't like the way they used to be, and subtle attachments we're not aware of, attachments to how things were versus how they are now, mm-hmm. um, which attachments are really clinging to the past. And, and they're old, uh, stale expectations that we're trying to project into a life that's totally different right now. Uh, so, and then that calls into questions, self-judgment. Bodies change, everything changes, everything changes. Um, relationship takes on a new phase, and all these things change. And if we're clinging to all these expectations and programs, we have to be aware of what they are within ourselves. Um, it's only you that can do it, not somebody yeah. else. There's, we were in a, uh, this uh, store the other day that was filled with crystals, and all these, and they're beautiful crystals, all these different kinds, and all of them have cards that tell you what chakra they're meant to balance. And it's all well and good, but just so you know, you have to do the work. Um, you can have, you can be surrounded by all kinds of amazing things, but inwardly, if there's a program that's creating an imbalance, that's that's where we have to be aware of it and make the changes. The change is really simple. You just you choose not to go there. Really, the programs are only stories. They're just stories. And we become we fall in love with our story and it becomes a hypnosis, really. Yeah, I'm really curious um, with all of this talk and the legalization of psychedelics coming there. We're just literally like on the cusp of all of that in some of our states. I know Colorado is they've already voted to legalize it and they're going to start handing out the licenses in October. I'm curious what your take is on this popularity, this recent popularity and interest in psychedelics to, um, you know, that mind connection, that mind body connection that um, that people or in the healing of trauma that people are utilizing it. And then they're, they're going to other countries to do it. But what's your take on that? Well, <clears throat> whether it's labeled as spiritual or non-spiritual or alternative or not, uh, the tendency for a lot of people is to seek a condition to, to, to fulfill a sense of happiness. I'm not going to say it's a good or bad thing, but we'll just call it for what it is. A lot of people aren't interested in finding peace, either that or they just don't know that it's there for the taking. And so they're going to chase other math methods to try to find some sort of peace of mind. They'll fly all the way to South America and do ayahuasca. Uh, that'll give you a nice experience for the moment. It might even change some sort of addictive patterns. But when we talk about the deep abiding peace in which, which exists without conditions at all, like ponder this for a moment, unconditional means without conditions. So when we talk about true peace, you, it's not a peace that's created by closing yourself into a room quietly somewhere. That's, that's a, a piece that depends on conditions. That's a, a false knockoff version. But yeah. so what's what's on offer with true meditation, with the with the ultimate goal of the practice of awareness, is a silence that doesn't depend on any conditions at all. There's a depth to it that isn't affected by what happens in the world. So, so a lot of people chasing those alternative therapies. Um, they might not have that piece as their priority or else they don't know that they can do it. They don't know how to do it. They're probably doing yeah, it as they can do it. Whatever. Right. 
Which is why a lot of people use drugs and alcohol, too, as an escape. Yeah, they're trying to escape conflict and experience peace. That's and they're searching, giving something relief or some way to get away from it all um, to help them rather than working on themselves the way you do with journaling or you do with meditation or you do with self-healing and self-work. Yeah, interesting. I like it. Yeah, no, it's not a priority. This This sort of topic... It sounds interesting for a, a lot of people. A lot of people hear it and they're captivated by it, but it's something that needs to be sustained. Um, it, ha it has to be something you commit to and stick with. It's not just a thing. Right. You, so you could use it in conjunction with doing a lot of self-work, but it's not an, the answer. You can use it with everything you do. Um, I, I'd say awareness is more than just a thing. It's it's it's. Deeply, well, what you know. No, are. I meant that she was talking about the oh, right. yeah, yeah. Of yeah. Of yeah. It's a tool. It's a tool in your toolbox, but it's um, it's not the be all end all. Gotcha. Yeah. Right. So you can you can still be sick and need to go to the doctor. You, and the difference between doing that, it's not like you don't do those things when you're practicing awareness. You you still use the doctor if you have kidney stones or whatever. You still you still experience the pain of that. Um. But there's a difference between pain and suffering, right? You might have the kidney stones and think, oh, my God, look at my life, how miserable it is. And now I've got this going on in addition to all this debt and then failed relationship. And now I've got this kidney stone. My life sucks and yada, yada, yada. The mind will just go on and on and on and create a sob story about it. Right. Now, now figure this into someone who practices awareness where they begin to identify with the silent field beneath those thoughts. They experience the same pain in the kidney stone, but they don't experience the suffering of the stories that pile on top of it. Yeah, it's an isolated incident. Gotcha. Yeah, well, it's it's a it's an incident without a story. So you don't you can go through your life without the stories. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty um, that's pretty amazing. So suffering, do you understand the difference now between suffering and, yeah. and pain? Suffering yes. is a story and pain is a sensation. But the most yeah. people don't do this because they are in, in love with their suffering, as we talked about. So, right. so the suffering is what a lot of people will try to, to relieve with the Psychedelic. alternative psychedelics or the or whatever. There's a million different treatments. And you might get a momentary um, peaceful feeling from crystal therapy or whatever. A lot of those things are, will, will give you a glimpse into something else. Uh, it's just not sustained because they open up a door, but then that door closes when that that method is taken away. Yeah, or the experience is over. Yeah, so yeah. If become dependent on a condition to open that door, it won't stay open because ultimately – that state isn't dependent upon the condition, but if we believe that it is, that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh, absolutely. So anyway, the book, um, it, it was intended to be a complete guide, uh, gives a, a technique, um, answers questions. I share some experiences I had. Uh, maybe it's not for everybody. I don't know how well I did on it. I, I got fairly decent reviews, but you can't, it's a difficult thing to explain um, using words, but you do. I try to circle around using a lot of different analogies because people relate to some analogies better than others. Uh, I'll just say 
that it's worth it um, as a topic. It's worth it to dive into this and and stick with it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I just ordered your book just by the way while I was listening to you. Oh, wow. So awesome. <laughs> I think I'm going to I think it's going to be my book to read in Costa Rica in two weeks. So I'm excited. <laughs> retreat to oh, Costa Rica fun. for a week. We're leaving July 15th and we're there from a Saturday to a Saturday. It's at a resort that does just all yoga retreats. So well, yeah. if happiness isn't dependent on a condition, but that's a pretty sweet condition. So, <laughs> <laughs> so do you, but you do retreats too, right, Chad? It's been a long time since I did. I did them all around the world for a long time and my life's gotten really normal the last few years. <laughs> I work a regular job like most anybody else. Um, and busy with his daughter. Busy with uh, my eight-year-old and uh, busy with taxes, work, the same thing most people experience. Um, yeah, life's a journey, though. You, you never know. Might go, yeah. might do that stuff again. It might circle back around. Uh, but and also, I was just telling, I don't know, was this you I was saying this to, Jessica? But it feels like it's a different world when you were teaching before versus now. Before, people were more resistant. But the world is universe and world, and everybody's more open to this type of teaching and astrology and all the, I don't know, spirituality. And people aren't going to church as much anymore. And things are are opening up and as far as be people more open to these concepts versus before it was like almost looked down upon or you're weird for talking about these things. And I've really noticed a change since, you know, in the last 20 year, 20 plus years of, you know, when since Kayla was born or the late nineties and when we all became friends till now. So it may be a different experience for you if you did. Yeah, again. I imagine it would be. It's amazing how much the world's changed in the last 15 years since I was real active teaching. it. I know. Yeah, it really. Well, is. And I, would, I was just telling Amanda this um, a couple of weeks ago that I there was a period of time. Um, it was in the last six months. It's still fresh in my mind. But there was a period of time where I was actively seeking um, at uh, information and advice and techniques. And I would go to the places that the to the loudest people, right? The people that claim the loudest people that are the most popular in pop culture right now that are saying, I can help you. And this is how and the biggest names. Right. And I would read I would order their book on Audible and I'd start reading it or listening to it, I should say. And then I would be like, I would be like three or four chapters in and I'm already like done with it. I'm like, not they don't have what I'm looking for. And I didn't know what I was looking for, but. I knew they didn't have it. And it was always like they were missing something. There was like this emptiness in whatever they were telling me or teaching, trying to teach. And, but they were the ones that are profiting the most off of this. They're, they have a million books out and they have a, a program that you can pay a thousand dollars to go through or they have a retreat situation going on. And I'm just like, how are these people making it? How are they so rich? Because I'm not getting anything from this right now. This is stuff I already know that I've already learned, but I haven't been able to like practice. I'm looking for that next step where I've already done all the research and I know all the information. I'm just trying to get it resonating deep inside of me to the point where I'm practicing it. And so I feel like your information, just this podcast was so it was it was um authentic and it was genuine but it was real and it was it it hit me where it needed to hit me and so i'm knowing that this is going to be the experience of our listeners as well so i'm wondering if maybe it's not 
you know, the world isn't opening up to someone like you because there's so many fakers out there right now. Well, what you're talking about is a, is a whole other show we could do called um, Gratifying the Spiritual Ego's Expectations. Oh, and well, we can do another show. <laughs> <laughs> I want to do that. Okay, let's do it yeah, tomorrow. Let's end. Let's end this episode. So, Chad, any last thoughts before we sign off and say goodbye? No, just don't let your mind make excuses and let you, and tell you that I can't do this because because behind every because is an, is a mind fabricated lie. What you really should tell yourself is I need more clarity on this. And hopefully we've given a start here. Hopefully the book adds a little bit more, but you can do it. It's more on consistency. And if they're, if you're sincere, every part of this universe helps you do it. Every part. So it's not like, Oh, when, I, when, I, when all these people leave or when my kid goes to bed and is quiet, then I can start um, the conditions. Let me put it this way. Everything is in its right place for you right now to get what it is you need to be at peace. Perfect. I love it. Yeah, that is awesome. Thank you so much, Chad. And I'm excited to get through the other recording too, but um, we'll see you guys on the next.